My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 190, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Jeremiah 22 and 23, and Daniel 1 through 3. Jeremiah 22. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim this message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, king of Judah, you who sit on David's throne, you, your officials, and your people who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin. For this is what the Lord says about the palace of the king of Judah. Though you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, I will surely make you like a wasteland, like towns not inhabited. I will send destroyers against you, each man with his weapons, and they will cut up your fine cedar beams and throw them into the fire." People from many nations will pass by this city and will ask one another, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this great city? And the answer will be, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshipped and served other gods. Do not weep for the dead king or mourn his losses. Rather, weep bitterly for him who is exiled, because he will never return nor see his native land again. For this is what the Lord says about Shalom, son of Josiah, who succeeded his father as king of Judah but has gone from this place. He will never return. He will die in the place where they have led him captive. He will not see this land again. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms, so he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord, but your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on impression and extortion. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jacoim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, They will not mourn for him. Alas, my brothers, alas, my sister, they will not mourn for him. Alas, my master, alas, his splendor. He will have the burial of a donkey, dragging away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Let your voice be heard in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your allies are crushed. I warned you when you felt secure, but you said I will not listen. 
This has been your way from your youth, and you have not obeyed me. The wind will drive all your shepherds away, and your allies will go into exile. Then you will be ashamed and disgraced because of all your wickedness. You who live in Lebanon, who are nestled in cedar buildings, how will you groan when pangs come upon you, pain like that of a woman in labor? As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoahim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. Is this man, Jehoiakim, a despised broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declared the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and his holy words, the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched, and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priests are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness, and there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the years they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are like Sodom to me and the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. 
because from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not for the mouths of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they have stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream reconnect the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my work like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another, words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues, and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. When these people are a prophet or a priest ask you, what is the message from the Lord? Say to them, what message? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. If a prophet or a priest or anyone else claims this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them and their household. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites. What is the Lord's answer or what has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention a message from the Lord again, because each one's words become their own message. So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you? What has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says, you use the word, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city. I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring you on your everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered 
Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azari. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hanani, Shadrach, to Mishael, Misha, and Azari, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has signed your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink and give them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologer answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologer, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. 
When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men at Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this time, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes time and seasons. He deposes king and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dreams of the kings. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As for majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of the mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings, the God of heaven. You have given dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another king will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third king, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. 
In the time of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be destroyed into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God will serve, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Jeremiah 22 and 23 has to do with accusations and indictments against leaders who use their given positions, even prophets and priests, to oppress and give vision from their own minds. I think of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, which is the opposite of the command that God gave in the first creation story in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, all the way forward through the Bible, which was to rule with justice and fairness. And we saw this really important thing stated over and over even today, justice and fairness, and to subdue or defend against oppression. We read this thread of kings that leads to a king from Yahweh in chapter 23. Yahweh is promising to gather his flock back together and set over them a godly shepherd. So again, as we talked about, I think it was yesterday, right? This part of the story is that there's hope, but not just rescue. It's through the judgment, right? So through it, and he's promising to bring it back together. In the ancient cultural context, the king as a shepherd was a common metaphor. We read more specifically about this special and specific ruler being a righteous branch of the line of David who will be and do justice and righteousness in the land. Also note in chapter 22 how the Davidic line seems to be permanently cut off in verse 30. And we read in chapter 23 how what is to come will, as Matthew Patton writes, eclipse his former saving grace in the exodus from Egypt. Can you just imagine eclipsing his former saving grace in the exodus story from Egypt, which is pretty epic? We started the book of Daniel today as well. It is a fascinating and mysterious book with persistence and the message of persevering threaded as a central theme. 
right behind this central concept of the Son of Man, which points to the coming messianic priest king and God's covenant people in this story. So it starts in Hebrew, moves to the language of Aramaic, and then returns to the Hebrew language. Aramaic was the language of the first century BC, and it largely replaces the Babylonian language of the second century BC. Marty Solomon describes this as helping to anchor the story for the Israelites and then deeply feeling the effects of exile and then the return, the restoration. Marty Solomon describes how most biblical scholars view this book as written much later because of the use of Aramaic, among other reasons, and it's considered one of the last books written in the Old Testament. Marty Solomon doesn't describe Daniel as a prophet, and while this story is set against a backdrop of the Babylonian exile, there are aspects to it that are not based in history as the author Daniel is trying to convey something really important in the story that is unfolding. The center of the story is the Son of Man, as I mentioned. That's, I think, Marty Solomon's word for it, which we know is Jesus, and we will talk about it more in chapter 7. So Marty Solomon describes this book as having the chiasms within a giant chiasm. So it's important to clarify what a chiasm is. Note, this concept will continue to be important as much as scripture uses it, even in the New Testament. So a chiasm is a literary device, a rhetorical method used to create an effect where there are two parts and one concept mirrors the other one. So even though the words are not the same. Note, when I say mirror, I mean the concept is typically inverted, as we know a mirror does. Think about how a mirror can reverse text we're looking at to appear front to back. Note, the second part of a chiasm does not use the same words or phrasing. It's just the concept that remains, but it is presented in reverse. If these two parts were the same but reversed in language, this is called an antimetaboly. But you can throw that idea away for now because our focus is on the concept of a chiasm. That was developed even more so later by the Greek as a crossing, an intersection, or an X shape. This style or design of writing is thought to be more memorable as the reader or listener is hearing the same concept repeated twice, but in two different ways. The second, again, typically in inverse or reversed. A famous, more modern example is from Shakespeare's Othello. Who dotes yet doubts, suspects yet soundly loves. So the first part, dotes, is the same as the last part, loves. And the word doubts is the second part of the first phrase connects with the first part of the second phrase, suspects. It's the same concept repeated with different words in a flipped order. Let me read it again. Who dotes yet doubts, suspects yet soundly loves. We have seen chiasms before, and we'll see them again in Scripture. If you're interested in a masterclass, Neil Gaiman has a course on chiasmus, also known as chiasms. I linked Marty's three-slide presentation regarding the chiasms in the book of Daniel to this podcast. The first, which we read today, started in chapter 2. The image of the kingdom, so four-part statue. Then in chapter 3, will not worship, thrown into the furnace. Then tomorrow, chapter 4, the fall of Nebuchadnezzar and the fall of Belshazzar. In chapter 5, chapter 6 is a will not worship, thrown into the den. And chapter 7 is the image of the kingdom and the four beasts. The second chiasm starts in chapter 8 with prophecies about beasts, then in chapter 9, trials and forgiveness, then in chapter 10, trials and mourning, and 11 prophesies about kings. In the larger chiasm of Daniel, chapter 1 through 12, Marty describes chapter 1 as the prologue, 2, prophecies about kingdoms, 3, God's people and suffering, 
4 and 5, prophecies about the fall of the king. 6, God's people in suffering. 7, prophecies about beasts. 8, prophecies about beasts. 9a, God's people in suffering. 9b, prophecies about the fall of the king. 10, God's people in suffering. 11, prophecies about kingdom. And 12, epilogue. So again, if you're an oral reader, you get that. If you're a visual learner, you probably need to see it on the linked charts. Another interesting point we read today and Marty Solomon brought up is that we typically know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these are the names given to them by their captives from Babylonia, and not their Hebrew names, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. Have you ever noticed that? Also know Daniel is his Hebrew name, and Belshazzar was his name given to him in captivity. It's interesting that we retell the story to children and perhaps adults too. They often keep Daniel's name in Hebrew, and then the other three who are also from the royal line of David, they're being called by their exiled name, put on them instead of their original names. So it's just interesting to think about because they were quite faithful to God, obviously, in the story we read today. A lot of biblical scholars make connections from Daniel to Revelations, or what is called the eschatological or end times literature. We have to remember, Daniel didn't know or read the end times, and this writing was before Jesus. Also note, as Marty Solomon does, how frequently Jesus points to the book of Daniel, because Jesus was also present in the story before the book of Revelations. So while some whole story themes and connections may be made through association and pairing, these nuances are also important to remember for clarity of context and interpretation. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.